Hello, 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 and welcome to episode 19 of Break the Cycle. Thank you guys so much for sticking around. I know I was supposed to have Michael Bolden on yesterday. I feel absolutely terrible, or the day before yesterday, I feel absolutely terrible that it couldn't work out. Unfortunately, I was speaking at the Missouri State uh, Libertarian Party Convention, and I did not get the opportunity to stream because the hotel had some kind of weird firewall um, that would not let me do what I need to do. So, uh, so here we are, we're moving on and I will reschedule with Michael Bolden ASAP. I promise you he will be on the show soon. Um, but let's start off with some sponsors as per the huge, uh, Lauren coffee for all your delicious Italian coffee needs, uh, delivered directly to your door, bring the taste of Italy home. It is delicious stuff. Definitely order it. Use BTC at checkout for a 10% discount on anything you order there. Uh, TopLobster.com, the man, the myth, the legend. Uh, he is perfect for all of your graphic design needs. The man can draw anything. He's amazing. He draws all my thumbnails. He did this amazing shirt here. Government is the mafia masquerading as a human rights organization. Use also BTC at checkout for a 10% discount. And of course, AnthemPlanning.com. For all your emergency planning needs, uh, Amy Lapore, the, or Lapore, the owner there, is is wonderful, amazing. They're doing great work. Uh, you can not get a discount by using BTC there, but you will get a wonderful product who does something that the government wishes they could steal from you every chance they get. Anyways, I don't know what's going on with the chat here, guys. Let me Let me check this out. I got the chat, but it's like not showing me the whole thing for some reason. So I'm going to try and figure this out. So that I can see you guys. I'd like to be able to see you guys. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. Anyways, I'm going to try and figure it out while we go. But uh, we got a great show for you guys tonight. Um, my guest tonight is uh, the host of The Naturalist Capitalist. A quickly rising show on YouTube. He's had some of the who's who of the libertarian movement on the show. Including Tom Woods coming up. Uh, he is a constant truck driver from what I understand, uh, but I do, I am con contractually obligated to say that he is the second best trucker in this world only because top lobster, who is my, my man, my friend, uh, and my partner is also a truck driver. He is, uh, Reed Coverdale. How you doing today, sir? I'm doing well, Josh. Thanks for having me on. But I am gonna, I am gonna hold you to what you posted on Twitter the first time that I am the best truck driver, regardless of what he says. So fair, fair <laughs> enough. Go. I think I, I think I hurt his feelings by saying it, but he's like, you gotta, hey, listen, listen, you gotta, you gotta make sure that he knows he's the second favorite truck driver of the Liberty Movement because he is a truck driver. Um, he was, he's also, asking, he's also asking, what kind of truck did you name your truck? Do you have a, do you have a name for your truck? I actually haven't named my truck yet. That's a good point. I probably ought to do that. Uh, I, it's a Kenworth uh, T800W, um, but I, I haven't named it yet. That's a good point. I better get on that. So yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, so so what uh, what made you want to be a truck driver, man? Well, um, I've had my CDL since I was 18, but I got my CDL uh, so that I could get a, another job, which was uh, doing line work in New Hampshire just needed it so we could drive the trucks and then we moved heavy equipment around and you know we had dump trucks stuff like that so you just needed a cdl to drive um but in 2015 i took off and did a bunch of traveling around the country um and i was really gone for a couple years and i lived in uh arizona for a little while and colorado for a little while 
And I realized I just loved traveling. You know, I loved being out on the road, not knowing where you're going to be the next day, uh, you know, not being stuck on a certain route or whatever. Uh, so I eventually moved back to New Hampshire, went back to that old job and they paid me well and everything, but it just wasn't, um, it just wasn't really what I wanted to do. And so I tried thinking about like, what do you actually want to do? What are you good at? What can you make money at? And what do you enjoy? And I really liked moving heavy equipment around, uh, when we had to do it for, uh, line work, like moving excavators or off-road rigs or whatever. And I really liked traveling. So I decided, Hey, I might as well just put these two things together and drive around the country hauling heavy equipment. So, uh, last year I left New Hampshire and moved out to Utah, got a heavy equipment truck driving job. And, uh, we just do like Western state stuff and it's just, it's way easier out here. You know, you don't have the low bridges. You don't, it, it's not like driving around downtown Boston anymore. <laughs> it's a little bit more relaxed. So that's, that's why I decided to become a trucker. Sure. Sure. So I've watched, you know, some of your shows, I watched you on Dave Smith and stuff like that. And you, uh, you kind of got a different story than some of the other libertarians and how you came to be a libertarian. And I, I've heard you mention Tulsi Gabbard and stuff like that. So what was it that, that really brought you to the libertarian movement? So when I supported Tulsi, I actually really was already a small L libertarian. I just disagreed with her on, you know, like the economic issues and the gun control stuff and the war on terror. So she actually, she was really just more responsible for radicalizing me because, you know, working on her campaign, seeing how uh, she was treated by the Democrats kind of red pilled me to the idea of, oh, we can get some candidate into the White House that's going to dismantle this from the top down. You know, it, it was basically the Ron Paul movement's uh, realization that everyone had. You know, I mean, so many people are anarchists after being involved with the Ron Paul campaign. That just happened for me later because I was a little younger uh, during the Ron Paul movement. But uh, when I first became a libertarian, um, it was really in 2014. Uh, Rand Paul caught my attention when he filibustered John Brennan's uh, nomination to be head of the CIA. Um, and so I started looking into him more. And I had remembered Ron Paul from uh, senior year in high school. And I, I, I did like him when I was in high school. I just wasn't really digging into the philosophy. It was more like, wow, this guy you know, says what he thinks and he's an actual conservative. You know, I, I wasn't way into all the war stuff or the spying stuff. Uh, but then uh, with Rand Paul, I started really digging into it. Um, and I started watching different people. I found Peter Schiff. Uh, I found Kerry Wedler. Uh, I found Ryan Dawson eventually. Just, you know, all these different people who started influencing me. Um, and I'd say by the time 2016 rolled around, I, I was... I was a, a moderate libertarian, you know, and I, I voted for Gary Johnson in 2016. Um, and then I, after Gary Johnson's campaign didn't go that well, I just kind of became uh, politically inactive for a while. I still paid attention, but I didn't do anything. And if people asked me, I'd actually say I was an independent, not a libertarian, because I just didn't want to be associated with the libertarian party. Uh, but then after the Tulsi campaign um, and just seeing like Trump versus Biden, I was like, OK, well, I I don't have anywhere else to go. Like, I've got to go with this Libertarian Party stuff. So I uh, officially became a member of the Libertarian Party last year um, and just tried to get involved and started the show and was just trying to get people to think about libertarian thoughts and, you know, trying to get the uh, get the philosophy out there and trying to convey it to people who uh, weren't philosophers necessarily. You know, I was trying to 
dumb it down almost and, you know, talk to regular people about it and bring regular people on the show to talk about it. And, um, yeah, I, I, I wasn't too optimistic about the way it was going, but now I am feeling optimistic. It, it seems like there's a desire for Liberty. So sure. hopefully things improve going forward. Uh, shout out to Patrick Mitchell for the, the super chat. He says he finally caught a stream. Thank you, buddy. Uh, so speaking a little bit about philosophy, I mean, so you're, you're relatively new libertarian, definitely new to the libertarian party, but, um, have you read, have you read a lot of philosophy or any philosophy from, from libertarian philosophers? So libertarian philosophy is something I'm actually just diving into recently. Um, I've been reading Rothbard and Spooner. Um, but yeah, I mean, before last year I hadn't read any of it. It was all, I mean, I, I, I had listened to Peter Schiff a lot. So, you know, I knew a lot about capitalism, um, and I'd listened to Ron Paul and Rand Paul a lot. So, you know, it was all basically stuff I was listening to. I hadn't actually read any literature. Um, and you know, I'm a truck driver, so I don't have a ton of time. So most of the reading I do is audio anyway, if I can get a book on tape, that's how I'll listen to it. Cause it's the only thing I have time to do. But yeah, the, the libertarian philosophy, um, in writing is actually something I've recently gotten into. Sure. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, so it's safe to say that Murray Rothbard's your favorite philosopher, right? <laughs> yeah, that's safe right now. Okay. <laughs> although, although Spooner is the one who really um, pushed me in a direction that I didn't necessarily want to go in. You know, I, I feel like that those are the truest type of convictions when you read something and you're like, oh, man, I really don't like that. But that's definitely true. You know, And you like you can't hold yourself back and you just get pushed down the rabbit hole. So, uh, I mean, he reading, uh, constitution, no authority that like completely blew my mind and made me kind of rethink everything. So he, he's been like, he's been the one that really kind of messed up my worldview, I guess you could say. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And he, and he'll definitely do that. I mean, Spooner's was a, was a definitely a turning point in my, my philosophy and my direction as far as how society is supposed to work. You know, I, I was a constitutionalist, I thought, you know, and then I read Spooner and I was like, hey, you know what? That's right. Fuck the fuck that thing, man. It doesn't hasn't done shit, you know, uh, and but yeah. uh, and so, you know, people are like, oh, well, you work with the Libertarian Party, though. And I'm like, yeah, but like, you know, it's I see it as a political tool to use in in pushing more people towards freedom and liberty in this country. You know, uh, I actually talked about this this past weekend in Missouri is kind of into my speech with it. I was I was I had this whole like big speech planned out that I was going to give. And then uh, they were like running way behind on time. So it's like, I'm going to be really brief and talk about like what the LNC does a little bit and then ask some questions. I'll take questions. And then there was like four questions and I'm going, Oh shit. Well, this is really short, you know? And so I, I ended it with, uh, I ended it with, uh, you know, the time for libertarians to, to stop fighting inwards or, or people who are, are, are fighting for freedom in this country just to stop fighting inward. Didn't end a year ago when people locked us in our, when they locked us in our homes and deemed who was necessary and who wasn't. It didn't uh, start 20 years ago when they lied us into the war in Afghanistan. It didn't even start a hundred years ago when, uh, they they decided they could steal portions of the money that we worked for and devalue what we had left through the the, the Federal Reserve. It actually started with the American Revolution, and that's the time when freedom lovers should have stopped fighting inward, right? Um, but you know, I it, Spooner completely just I mean, you know, once you start really thinking about the Constitution and what it's done in this country, it's it's hard to close that window, certainly. Um, but speaking yeah. about fighting inward, you have been a big proponent of this unity thing. 
in, in especially in the, the, the party. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I'm kind of different in that aspect. Uh, there was a time when I was really big on the unity movement in the libertarian party. Um, but then I realized that no matter how hard I fought for unity, these people were still going to continue to attack me and call me a white nationalist. And, and, you know, even though I'm half Israeli and or, or part Israeli and, and, uh, I, you know, they were still going to attack my family and they were still going to go after me and call me all these names and blah, 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 blah. And I've been noticing you online over the last couple of weeks have been noticing some of that too. Um, I mean, do you, is it, I mean, obviously you want unity. We all want unity, but has your thoughts about that changed at all once you really got into libertarian Twitter and started understanding how some of these people are? Um, I wouldn't say my thoughts on the concept have changed. I've, I think people have just been revealed for who they are because um, I think a lot of people think unity means sweeping things under the rug or ignoring problems or uh, you know, forgetting that bad things have happened where that's never what it was supposed to mean. It was supposed to mean like, Hey, let's apologize and let's, you know, like put this shit behind us and move forward. And, uh, I mean, you can't unify with people who continue to demonize you unjustly. I mean, you can't, I mean, you never could. Um, so I think I've realized more thoroughly who is doing the attacking and who is doing the straw manning because, as you said, I'm kind of new to the Libertarian Party. So when I first came into it, it was just this shit storm of insults flying in both directions. And I was just like, come on, guys, we're all libertarians. Like if you're a libertarian, that's such that's already such a narrow um, philosophy compared to the rest of the country. And we're screaming about stupid stuff, um, you know, and especially with you, there's been stuff that's happened that isn't stupid. I mean, there's been some serious infractions against you that, you know, I definitely think you have legitimate anger about, and I've seen it with other people too. So, uh, the unity movement was never about ignoring bad actors. It was actually sort of about exposing them. Uh, cause Dave Smith was one of the first guys who sort of got on board with this thing. And when we were talking about it early on, we were saying, you know, this is really going to be a way to show who is really doing the gatekeeping, who is really trying to expel people from the movement. And I think it really has, you know, uh, all around, like uh, anyone who is really against this and is really against um, people being in the party just because of who they are, not because they're doing something shady. Um, I, I think everyone's really starting to see who's who and who is who, who has what agenda, if you know what I'm saying. I think it's actually been more more exposing than anything. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. I, and that's why, you know. After working with the party for five years, six years, I kind of came to a point where it's like, look, I don't need you guys to to leave the party. I'm not trying to purge anybody, but you're going to take a backseat for a while. You guys have had control of this party for 10 years. You've done this to lots of great libertarians who have worked their asses off. Uh, and that's why I was kind of, you know, I'm not a, I, you know, I'm, I don't go out and push the takeover language all the time, you know, um, especially with the Mises caucus and stuff, but I get it, you know, like I totally understand it because these are new people coming to the party ready to help and they're being shit on left and right by the same people that you're talking about. So, uh, yeah, I'd like to see them take the back seat for a little bit, you know what I mean? And see, see what these unapologetic libertarians that can get on some of the biggest platforms in the world, like Joe Rogan can do with the libertarian party. I love this party and it's, you know, it needs, it needs the help. Um, but, uh, also speaking of, of, uh, you know, kind of, uh, talking shit about people. Um, 
I've noticed that you, some of your posts on religion can be a little edgy sometimes, man. What's what's going on there? Well, um, I think that uh, you know. I, it's it's nothing that it's nothing that's it's not a change like that's something I've done since I had Twitter since I've had this YouTube platform. Um, it's uh, I I just don't like uh, brainwashing. So if you're a person of faith who arrives at your convic- uh, convictions uh, naturally and truthfully, like fine. But um, I'm not a fan of um, movements uh, being run by people who are you know, either threatening people or scaring them into submission. And I was victim to that for a long time uh, growing up. And I know a lot of other people who have been too. And I also think it has, um, you know, some ties to our foreign policy through Zionism and, you know, just people not thinking critically. So I just want people to uh, think about why they believe what they believe, whether it's libertarianism or Christianity or Judaism or Islam or atheism. I actually go I actually go hardest after atheists who are statists, uh, because to me, that's a contradiction. If you're skeptical of the church because of their arbitrary rules or, you know, what they say you're allowed to uh, put in your body or, you know, how much money they're supposed to give you or whatever. But then you're completely fine with the government doing the exact same thing. You know, that 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 doesn't make sense to me. But there doesn't seem to be like a defined um, space for non-religious people in libertarianism. I don't think they're expelled by any means or not welcomed, but I don't hear anyone like really explaining how those two coincide well. You know, the idea of no rulers, like that that's the kind of anarchist libertarian idea or the idea that we don't need people telling us what to do in order to get along. You know, those kind of go hand in hand with atheism. So I try to draw a lot of parallels there. And then occasionally, you know, I'm a shit poster. You've seen it, like not just with politics or religion, but with anything. So occasionally I'll make a post and, uh, those are the most inflammatory. Definitely. (laughs) Oh yeah. uh, Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I I think people who watch my videos know where I stand on it. I'm not trying to push anyone out who's religious. Most of my family's religious. Most of my closest friends are religious. Uh, I just have my own thoughts on it. And, uh, I think it's an interesting comparison with statism. I think statism is a religion. I think it's the worst religion. I think it's, it's the, only universal religion that you get murdered for if you don't want to participate you know like uh fundamentalist islam comes pretty close afterward but statism anywhere around the world if you decide you don't want to participate they murder you and uh you they kind of just get away with it because everyone's like well it's the law and you know that's that so um, statheism yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) so we talked a little bit like uh before the show but you 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 kind of uh, driving around the country and your job has helped lead you in a libertarian path too. How does, how does that work? Yeah. So um, the job I had before truck driving actually um, made me realize that central planning doesn't work and that um, regulations don't work and that basically letting people operate the way they know how to as much as you can without interfering um, is the smoothest way to run any operation. Cause I, I was a foreman and sometimes I was in charge of like multi-million dollar jobs. Um, and you know, there, there were a lot of environmental impacts we had to be careful of. There were tons of safety regulations we had to follow. And sometimes you're working with people who have different styles of doing things. 
Um, so if I were a foreman and I'm trying to tell everyone exactly how he should do his job instead of just letting him set up and, you know, dress the pole however he wants or, you know, dig with the excavator from whatever position he wants to get the hole down or whatever, I would slow things down because I'm trying to, um, you know, explain to everyone exactly how I want it done and only doing it my way instead of letting creativity and the competition of ideas take over and get the job done faster. And then we, we had all these dumb, dumb safety laws. You know, I mean, it's a very dangerous job working around electricity, working with heavy equipment, digging holes, all that type of stuff. But, um, you know, they, it was all about compliance, not safety. That, that was what was very obvious is that the rules were there for you to follow, not necessarily to keep you safe. Um, I don't know if anyone watching the show is familiar with Mike Rowe from Dirty Jobs, but he talks about this concept called Safety Third, um, and that that is spot on. If you guys don't know that video, just look up Mike Rowe Safety Third, and he kind of lays it out. Like the the more safety regulations you have, the less you're thinking about safety. The more you're thinking about compliance with the rules, and you kind of take your eye off the ball, and you forget that there's even a danger that's present. Um, and then with like environmental regulations, I mean, I'm someone who cares a lot about the environment. You know, I've been to almost all the national parks and, you know, we have a beautiful country. I think we should take care of it. But these environmental regulations they had on us at work, they'd sometimes force you to destroy the environment more than you would if you were allowed to just do the job in a minimalist way. Uh, one example is, you know, we, we, we'd work in swamps a lot, setting poles. So if you're in a real swamp, you've got to have like these big wooden mats that you place out to get the machines out into the muck without sinking in. But then uh, the definition of a swamp would get expanded and, you know, suddenly you're in like a dirt parking lot and it's a swamp, uh, you know. So now you have to put miles and miles of these mats out. So you got to burn all this diesel, bringing these trucks back and forth. You have the mats sitting out there sometimes for like a month. It kills everything they're sitting on top of. Uh, you've got to have the machines to move the mats that you otherwise might not need. So you've just created this giant um, environmental hazard that you really didn't need to have. Um, and, you know, uh, instead of the utility company, it's just the government that's doing all of those things. It's got the one size fits all solutions. Everybody's got to do things my way. It's got the dumb regulations um, that don't keep us safer. They're just there for compliance. And they also have the backlash of putting these dumb regulations in place that sometimes make us, uh, they, they sometimes have the exact opposite intended effect because it's there to protect the environment or protect the worker or protect whatever. But it just has the opposite effect because the government, um, you know, it's inefficient and doesn't know how to, um, it doesn't, it, it doesn't know every, uh, situation it doesn't know every circumstance and it thinks it does. So it just makes everything worse. Sure. Sure. Shout out to Clint Griffin for the super chats. Thanks, sir. Uh, yeah. So that was, I was actually going to talk to you, but cause you're a big naturalist, right? And you, you enjoy nature as do I, I mean, I'm, you know, I, I would spend every warm minute wherever I live out in nature. It's my favorite thing. But, um, you mentioned that you're, you know, kind of anarchist, at least anarchist leaning now and. Where do you where do you see do you see any role for for the state when it comes to you know nature and national parks and stuff like that? Yeah, so this is the biggest. I'd say this is probably the biggest switch that's happened to me since I started the show. When I first started the show, 
you know, I wasn't an anarchist at all. I was still, I was very much a minarchist libertarian. So it was the generic things like they got to run the military, the police, the fire departments, whatever, the courts, you know. But then I would add on um, national parks. Like that, that was something that I uh, thought was a, a reasonable thing for the government. The problem that I've run into is that what's the trade off? You know, like, uh, <laughs> A good example would be these bailout bills, you know, where we get 600 bucks and then trillions go overseas to Israel and Egypt and, you know, Sudan or whatever. Like you're, you're getting this tiny, tiny bit of, um, you know, of a reward, but at what cost? Um, so, you know, I do love national parks, love national forests. Um, but I don't think it's worth the trade-off for what the state does in other areas anymore. You know, I mean, it's just <laughs> the state is so bad. Like, it's not worth killing Syrian children to have Yosemite National Park, I guess. Um, so that was kind of my first step to saying, okay, I'm not going to advocate for this anymore. I just think we need to get rid of the state because everything else that it's doing that is so horrible outweighs anything good that it does. But I've also been... Um, I've become more sympathetic to the idea that we probably can preserve nature without the government um, stealing from people and, you know, <laughs> threatening them at gunpoint. Like, I mean, we can do so many other things without government involvement. Um, I'm just I'm not a fan of the libertarians who say like, oh, we should just like auction them all off to the highest bidder. Like, I don't think we should auction off the redwood forest to a logging company. You know, I think we should be judicious with how we um we defederalize land. Um, you know, I just don't, I, I'm not, I wouldn't be a fan of, uh, selling Yosemite to Exxon Mobil cause there's a lot of oil there. You know, I think that if people did own these lands instead of the government, that there would be an incentive to, uh, keep them natural for the, you know, the attraction of tourists and hikers and people who care about it. Um, but if the federal government just straight up sold it to some corporation, you know, that's not something I'd support. So I, I think that um, we could defederalize everything. Um, I just think, you know, how we do it matters, I guess. Sure, sure. I, we probably we could probably have an entire show talking about that. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> what being a trucker, how has the last year of of absolute silver platter tyranny affected your industry? Um, so, you know, mine's kind of specific cuz it's just moving heavy equipment. But the like the dry van or freight shipping has actually done very well. <laughs> they, they didn't get hurt at all. Um, they were actually on double time for a while there when the virus first hit. I mean, they could not keep the stores stocked, you know, because people were just buying everything up. Um, the toilet paper trucks were installing tail gunners on the back. No, I'm just kidding. But you know, they, <laughs> they were almost there. Um, in my industry, it did slow down with the initial shutdown about a year ago, uh, but then it picked back up and I've been working like 60, 70 hour weeks. Um, it's been kind of nice because the DOT cops at the way stations, they don't call you in as often because they're encouraged to not have people in the building. So it's less likely that they can find some bullshit reason to put you out of service or something. So uh, for me, it's actually been helpful, you know, because uh, <laughs> it keeps the cops at bay. Um, and they also had some hours of service regulations that they lifted for a while. Those are all pretty much back to normal now. But because everything was so crazy, 
they weren't really enforcing all the logbook um, compliance and everything. So uh, I, I think like when things first hit in Texas, they lifted weight restrictions for a couple days and uh, there was some crazy stuff going on there for a little while, but it, it's kind of calmed down. But all in all, uh, in my field, it hasn't really affected anything that much. Ah, oh, no logbooks. It's like the good old days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah I've only had my, I've only had one officer check my logbook. Uh, and I've been here 11 months. I mean, that's usually something I have all the time. So sure. just once. <laughs> sure. uh, Top Lobster, thanks for the super chat. He said uh, he's ashamed to say that the state does a good job with hunting regulations. Yeah, that's something I wouldn't know a ton about. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> You're not not big hunter, huh? Uh, no, I just didn't grow up doing it, and then I just never had the time to get into it. I would. I'm a gun owner, and I'm a shooter, but I just I haven't. I, I'd love to go elk hunting. That's yeah. some, uh, out here, that's what we do. You know, I, I'd love to do that sometime. So. Sure, that's, it's something that I definitely want to get into is now that I live in Iowa. You know, I'm, I'm from the Bay Area, California, outside of Oakland. There's not a lot of hunting. Everybody owns guns to protect their homes there. You know, and now I'm in a place in Iowa where they basically have year round deer hunting, but it's in one form or another, right? Like muzzle loading one season and then art, you know, uh, bow hunting another season. And I really want to bow hunt. I feel like that's the most fair way. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Puts you on the most level playing field. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we were, we were also talking and this is a good, this is a good subject for you and I, we talked a little bit about this before the show, but, uh, blue collar libertarians man you know um the democrats just you know for a long time the working class uh democrats were blue you know considered blue collar and uh the unions especially you know which i know i have a lot of union friends who the the you know their union bosses like shove the the democratic party down their throats they beat them over yeah. the head you're gonna lose your job if you don't vote democrat you know but over the last uh you know, several years, it really seems like there's a big influx of, of working class moving to either libertarian thought, libertarian party, or the Republican Party. What do you think that's all about? Um, unfortunately, I don't think it's actually economic. I think it's cultural because the Democrats have just decided that they're going to go full in on this woke bullshit, you know, and I think that drives a lot of the blue collar people away. And then also the gun control stuff. I think that drives a lot of blue collar people away. So I don't actually think it's philosophical. I think it's more just an aversion to the woke culture. Um, but I think some of them, at least the ones who are joining the Libertarian Party, I think maybe they're just seeing how ineffective the government is at doing anything and how it's not it's it's not improving their lives, um, especially this last year. Like if you paid any attention at all to where the money flow went. Uh, it wasn't to blue collar working class America. It was to Boeing and Raytheon and, you know, Israel and Egypt, <laughs> you know, like it, it wasn't to you. So um, if if you pay attention, you realize that um, the government's just not got your back. So um, anyone who's actually paying attention, who's working class, you know, they ought to be joining the Libertarian Party or the Libertarian Movement because we're the only ones that want to let you keep all your money. And we don't want the government, you know, taking it and using it for their pet projects. Um, I think the Republicans, the people have gone there just because they don't buy into the woke crap as much. And they the Republicans have also sort of um, taken on this anti-corporate mask. You know, like they, they 
they they talk big about it you know they talk like like with uh mostly with big tech companies right now like they're really anti big tech companies so maybe that has an appeal to working class people but i think most of it's pretty fake if you look at 90% of republican legislature uh, legislators and lawmakers like they're they they're they're totally bought into corporatism they totally have corporations backs and uh so i think anyone who really pays attention Unless you're a socialist, you ought to join the Libertarian Party if you're a, a, a blue-collar, working-class person. Hi, kids. Do you like violence? Yeah. Are you sick to death of pussyfooting around the truth while being constantly fed lies by news and big tech tyrants? If so, then come join me, Dan Smots, on The System Is Down, where we get weird, have fun, and dig into all the dangerous taboo topics like conspiracies, politics, religion, culture, current events, and everything your family just prays you don't bring up around the Thanksgiving dinner table. And I know that reality is scary to some people, so if you're easily offended, just ignore this and go back to making cat memes or whatever. But if you're ready to change the world for the better, come join me on The System Is Down at tsidpod.com or wherever you get podcasts. That's tsidpod.com. .com because the system is down and truth is taking over. Yeah, I agree. Um, and who was it? Uh, Mussolini that said the, the merger of state and, and corporation is, is indeed the definition of fascism. And I think we're seeing a lot of that in this country now. Um, you know, I, I get a lot of pushback when I say I don't think that platforms like Facebook and, and YouTube and, and Twitter should be able to ban people, uh, you know, without really defining their terms of service, because they don't, you know, they just say it's this and then they kick you off. Uh, but they've taken tons of money from the government. You know what I mean? And so uh, if, if they're able to use our tax money to get through crisis or whatever it is that they've used money for, then that's to me, that's a that's a merger of state and, and corporation. And, and they shouldn't be allowed to just ban people whose money they've taken, uh, you know, obviously. What do you what do you feel about the the social media platforms and and since we're talking about that merger of state and corporation, how do you feel about the 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 media platforms? Do you think are you one of the it's a private business bro people or are you like hey man this is probably not cool that we can just um, censor dissenting opinions? Well, um, I think Drew Hancock makes a good point that even if it is a purely private company, that doesn't really matter. I mean, if I had lived in the Jim Crow South. Um, you know, if there were a business that w wasn't allowing black people to come inside it, I mean, yeah, they're a private company, but I would still speak my mind about it and disapprove of it and boycott them and, you know, probably not speak kindly about them to other people, you know? So, I mean, just because something is a private company doesn't mean you have to approve of the way they're doing business. Um, with the whole like section two thirty thing, um, it, from the research I've done, it seems like we can't remove Section 230 without like serious tort reform, because otherwise there'll be all these frivolous lawsuits going through um, and holding uh, platforms accountable for something that somebody happened to say on their platform. I don't think that's fair. Uh, maybe there's some nuance there. I I, I don't I don't have an extremely um, hard-lined opinion either way. I'm, I'm not Justin Amash or Donald Trump on this. You know, like I think maybe if you have a company that's obviously censoring one form of content that you could say, hey, if you keep doing this, you know, you're going to lose your Section 230 protection. So something more nuanced like that, where it's not just a complete removal, it's more of like, uh, you know, you're not really acting as a platform anymore. You've basically be 
like if there was a if Facebook only allowed the DNC to suddenly post anything on Facebook and they literally banned everybody else, it would be pretty hard for them to say they're a platform still. So maybe removing their Section 230 protection in that case, I don't know. Um, it's something that I'm not. Um, as I said, I don't have a hard-lined opinion on it. I'd be kind of open to debate on sure. it, I guess. Sure. Yeah, Facebook removed me two, uh, what was it, two weeks before the, the, the election, the presidential election, as sitting member of the Libertarian National Committee, and I was stumping for Joe Jorgensen, obviously. I know that not every viewer of my show is the biggest fan of Joe Jorgensen. Uh, her and Spike were still the best option, in my opinion. Uh, mm -hmm. as far as what my, my personal beliefs are. Um, but I was stumping for her, and then all of a sudden one day I just tried to log into my Facebook, and it was gone. And uh, they said that if you know if I couldn't get it back within 30 days, it would be gone forever. And, I mean, it had, like, my my final pictures with my dead grandfather on there. It had pictures of me and my children that I'll never get back. And uh, it, was, it was pretty brutal, man. It's brutal. Uh, especially when, you you know, I wasn't violating any terms of services that I know of, you know. And I went back and read them just to make sure, you know. Uh, yeah, that's the thing that uh, Ryan Dawson says, and anyone who knows Ryan Dawson, he's been removed from like everything. He, he you know, he he basically had to move to Japan because because <laughs> he can't just, like uh, everything American removes him. But he was talking with me, and it's more that it's a breach of contract. You know, like they have these terms like hate speech or whatever that you can get banned for. And they, they have them defined and then they'll remove you for hate speech and what they've removed you for doesn't match the definition. True. So that that's not even like a Section 230 problem. That's a straight up breach of contract problem where they had an agreement with you and then they violated their side. So that that's like a whole different issue right there. Yeah. Speaking of Ryan Dawson, uh, he that is he's a he can be uh, one of those figures that's polarizing in, in, you know, modern politics and stuff. And you've had him on the show a few times. What have you, mm -hmm. you know, I, I haven't ever really talked to Ryan. I, I hear what I hear about Ryan, and then I've seen a couple of things that he said here and there. How do you feel about Ryan? You, you think he's a pretty solid guy or what? Yeah, I'm I'm friends with him. I think he's great. Um, you know, I think the uh, the symbolism that he chooses to surround himself with is what's really polarizing. Like, he's a big, you know, he's a big uh, Confederate guy. Yeah. Um, uh, he's anti-slavery, anti-racism, anti—you know—collectivism in general. He, I mean, you can be uh, pro-secession and anti-slavery. It's not that I don't know why that's such a, <laughs> you know, such a, a, a confusing concept for so many people. But um, he, uh, yeah, he, he, he is one of those guys that just doesn't care about what people think. You know, I think like Pete Quinones, I think he posts stuff to purposefully get arise out of people because i think he sort of lives off it almost like i think he likes that ryan i don't think gives a shit at all like he just doesn't care like he'll just say whatever he thinks and um yeah he he's, he's certainly said some things i disagree with things that i would probably phrase differently and i don't attach my wagon to the confederacy you know just because even though i agree that you know you can have secession without being pro-slavery there's so many connotations that come with the confederacy that have nothing to do with libertarianism that i wouldn't want to associate with but uh, it's kind of like with dave smith you know a lot of people don't like dave smith because they follow him on twitter uh they've never watched like any of his videos they don't really understand what it is he has to say I, uh, it's kind of hard to find Ryan Dawson now, but if you go to ancreport.com, watch his videos, listen to him talk, um, it's much more nuanced than how he's been portrayed. Um, and I'm one of like three YouTube channels to platform him, and he's going to be coming on like once a month. Uh, but he's a very smart guy. Um, you know, he's a Ron Paul supporter. 
Um, he's actually a Tulsi Gabbard supporter too. Um, and, uh, he, he's definitely a libertarian and I, I'm a, I'm a fan. So sure. Sure. Uh, speaking of Tulsi Gabbard, I'm, I like some of her stances. Obviously I, I would take anybody in the white house that w- would abolish war. Anybody, anybody, you know, right. uh, but man, she's got some really bad views when it comes to economics and gun ownership and stuff like that. So it's really hard for me to get behind a hey, shout out to Drew Hancock in the chat. Uh, throwing super chats. We appreciate you, buddy. Um, where do you think the libertarian movement, and, and more specifically since you are a member of the party, which direction do you think it needs to take going forward, man? Well, um, I think that pragmatism has been confused with moderation. You know, So pragmatism really means like choosing your battles, figuring out a strategy, what what matters at the given time. Moderation is like watering down your views to appeal to other people. Um, so I actually would not accuse Joe Jorgensen of moderation. I think she wasn't pragmatic actually. (laughs) Like I think she just kind of ran on a straight libertarian platform without stressing the right areas of, uh, you know, the, the issues of our time. Uh, I think Gary Johnson was moderate. I think he watered down the views to try to appeal to people. So um, I think Ron Paul is actually a good example of someone who was radical but pragmatic. Um, You know, he knew what the most important issues at the time he was running were. It was the wars. It was the Fed. It was the Patriot Act. You know, he didn't really talk much about like food stamps or um, I don't know, like uh, abolishing national parks or whatever. Like, I mean, it's just a side burner issue to what's going on. Um, someone I've criticized who I, I thought was just radical and not pragmatic was Jacob Hornberger. And I know you've had him on your show and I'd love to have him on my show. I'd love to talk to him about this, but um, I don't think just like, I don't think being radical means bringing every single issue to the, you know, to the top. I think that um, the more important issues should be nearer to the top the ones that most Americans agree with us on should be the ones that we're stressing. And that doesn't mean that you have to change your views on the other issues. And it doesn't even mean you don't talk about them. It just means like that you prioritize what uh, what's important at the given time and that you make yourself, um, you know, you make yourself viable to people. Because if you're just screaming about um, like, like if you were just talking about prostitution right now, if that was your number one issue, and you didn't say anything about the Fed or the lockdowns right now, like you're probably going to fall on deaf ears. So you can be 100 percent for um, legalizing prostitution, which I am, too. But you can also realize that hmm, maybe that's not the most important issue right now or like, you know, getting rid of Medicaid. Like you can I mean, I, I support that, too. I think that we should get rid of Medicaid. But putting that as the number one issue right now or at least equal to the number one issue I don't think is a good strategy. So I think a good mix of radicalism and pragmatism with no moderation is the way we got to go. And I do have to admit, like, I think that's what the Mises caucus is about. They seem to care about the important issues and they seem to, uh, you know, want a radical message that's just focused on what really matters at the time. Sure. Sure. And I, I don't disagree with you. I think, you know, I love Jacob. I think, you know, Jacob became a good friend of mine over the course of both of our campaigns. I was running for chair. He was running for uh, uh, president and we were meeting at a lot of different conventions. He's a really nice guy, really, really passionate about the issues. But I agree. I think that, you know, and I've said this a million times, I think our top issues have to be the warfare state, 
number one. I mean, it, 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 I can't stress how detrimental the warfare state is to this country uh, as far as what they're using the money they steal from you for, what it's doing to, uh, you know, uh, countries around the world and, and individuals. And, I mean, you just can't you can't call yourself uh, uh, an individualist or uh, liberty or freedom supporter if you only support it for yourself and your country. You have to support it for all people, and that includes the people that we're bombing relentlessly overseas. Um, and then, you know, stuff like the Federal Reserve, I think, is really important to talk about. There's, there's definitely more important issues, and I tell, a lot of, I, talk, I tell a lot of libertarians this, you know, hey, don't start with the age of consent thing, man. Bad idea. You know what I mean? Yeah. Stupid. <laughs> it's really dumb. Really stupid. Yeah. You know, even me as like a full-blown anarchist, I'm like, that's the last thing. The last thing I think about abolishing, you know what I mean? So <laughs> I get it, man. Definitely, definitely. And the, the succession thing too, man. And secession, I, you know, it's 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 really anytime you go against the state, all of a sudden you're a racist. You know what I yeah. mean? That's kind of how it works. Um, you know, and there's always going to be these statists that are like, "Hey, oh, you're pro secession. That means you're a neo confederate. You're, you know, no. I just think that we need a national divorce uh, because we can't peacefully coexist anymore." <laughs> <laughs> yeah so uh so you're a fan of the secession movement then or what yeah i mean i i sort of rounded a corner after i think my turning point was that stimulus bill they passed right before christmas uh there, there was just something so like evil about that you know using the anticipation of christmas to play on everybody's hearts and distract from what was going on and, you know, they've passed bills like that before, but not after a year of locking you in your house and still ta taxing you. And, you know, uh, I, I, there were so few people talking about what was in that bill. And part of it's because we only there was only like four hours in between when they released it and then when everybody voted on it. But um, that just so clearly demonstrated to me that we live in a failed state and that there's nothing we can do because two Democrats uh, I think 63, wait, no, 40, I forget, 40-something Republicans, two Democrats, and Justin Amash voted against that. So overwhelming majority voted for it. And there was shaming toward people who voted against it or, um, you know, didn't support it. Um, and then we had the Capitol riot on January 6th. And the way that that was portrayed as an insurrection and then became a vehicle for anti-terrorism laws being passed, I was just like, oh, my God. So it was just this huge red pill all at once, just everything from like December till now. Um, I'd say like probably two months ago, I finally was like, yeah, you know this. I mean, who cares if we're one country? Like, I, I don't care what the state designates us as, you know, we're still a landmass and we're still people who will hopefully coexist and get along, but I don't care if it's one government, you know, residing over us. Like I, I would like to see more than a secession. I'd just like to see the federal government basically get dissolved or become irrelevant. You know, like I don't think it should matter who the president is. It should be such a ceremonial role that we don't even notice a transition in power. Um, and I, I don't necessarily think secession will happen. I just think it moves the Overton window. If people start seriously talking about it, you know, maybe it'll uh, get the ball rolling for something like an Article Five convention, which yeah. there's uh, you know mixed reviews about how that would go, um, or it could end up with uh, you know just really respecting the Tenth Amendment again and giving sovereignty back to the states. But I mean, you know how things work in this country. You've got to you've got to use extreme sound bites to get any attention to anything. So if people like really start talking about secession, 
maybe that'll get the conversation moving in a decentralizing uh, direction. I or, guess. or at least some some kind of nullification efforts, I'd imagine. Uh, we got some more super chats. Eric Jackman says, Aloha, Josh. Aloha, Reed. We need W-U-H-L. <laughs> we need wool. <laughs> that, he's making fun of Trump. Like, uh, you know, we <laughs> Eric, Eric, uh, Eric's a Ron Paul supporter, Rand Paul supporter, who also worked on Tulsi Gabbard's campaign. That's where I met him in New Hampshire. But we have a uh, longstanding tradition of making fun of Donald Trump because he's a comedian who impersonates Donald Trump. So he's noticed all his idiosyncrasies and all the speech impediments. And uh, Trump leaves out the articles sometimes. Like he'll leave out the word the. So, you know, when uh, Hillary Clinton said Tulsi Gabbard and uh, Jill Stein were Russian agents or whatever, Trump was talking and he just said, I don't know, Jill Stein. I know she likes environments. And if you just listen, like he'll leave the word the out all the time. So he'll say like, we need wall. And he'll sort of. <laughs> stroke out a little bit when he's saying the word wall so uh that's what that comment is refer uh, referencing but yeah everyone go follow uh eric jackman he's uh jackman radio on twitter and on youtube he's hilarious he was also on my latest stream with uh ryan dawson and pete quinones and he kind of stole the show which is pretty hard to do when ryan dawson and pete quinones are on there with you so go check him out for sure no joke <laughs> no joke almighty beach says screw those limits on beef too too many burnt ends to eat I agree. I agree. I uh, Speaking of Almighty Beach, I got to stop and have lunch with him and uh, my beautiful fiance and two of our children uh, this past weekend on our way through Missouri. We stopped in Kansas City, had some Slaps barbecue. It is amazing. Go to Slaps if you're in the area. Beach is amazing, too. Don't let anybody on Twitter lie to you. He's one of the coolest guys there. Uh, Fu Mantis says, my biggest concern with the LP National is actually the lack of support. For decentralization, national divorce, anarchism, maybe he's just being short-sighted. I think you're going to find soon that there's going to be a lot more people coming into the party that do support those kind of things. Um, and so, you know, uh, Nick Nick Sarwark said it best. You know, the, the party belongs to those who show up. Uh, yeah. I, I took that to heart in 2017 and ran for chairman of the party twice. Uh, but there's a lot of people coming in now that, you know, if there's a platform you don't like, man, work on changing it because it, it comes down to the delegates at the national convention, which our next next national convention is going to be in 2022 in Reno, Nevada, which I like to call uh, little dirty Vegas. I don't, you probably drove through Reno a couple times out there. Oh yeah. I was just there last week. So <laughs> <laughs> it's a good time, man. You could still smoke in the restaurants, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, half mass Swanson. Thank you guys all for the super chats, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, he says, can you ask Reed, what are the top issues you think the LP need to go after to really get the people moving towards liberty and uh, love to you guys from Australia, the true home of freedom, LMAO. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the lockdowns are dying. You know, that, that is something that we should be extremely um, radical on being against the lockdowns. And I was, and I know you were, and some other people were, that, that's something where the, I don't even know if it's so much the libertarian party, but the messaging definitely failed. Like, I feel like lots of libertarians were against it, but there wasn't a central message against it. I, I think that was what really failed. Uh, but as the lockdowns end, I think we've really got to be against corporate bailouts. I mean, that's the amount of money that's going to corporations and foreign countries is insane. Uh, and I don't think anyone supports it, you know, whether they're a communist or even like neocons, you know, neocon voters. I don't think they support it. Like if you're 
you know, if you're a big time like John McCain, George W. Bush guy, you probably still didn't want, you know, whatever it was, 1.3 billion going to Sudan, you know, last Christmas. Like you probably were still against that. So uh, definitely like corporate bailouts. Um, I think the war on drugs, you know, that's a huge way to reach young people. Uh, I mean, I don't think any young people really support the war on drugs. And I think a lot of the older generation is starting to soften on it, too. I think that's something we can be unabashedly radical about. Um, and then, you know, like police reform. I think that's something that's huge right now. Um, did I already say the wars? Because the wars no. should have been number one if I didn't. But yeah, the wars. I mean, I don't think anyone supports that, really. I mean, even a lot of like the neocons, like my uncle is sort of a neocon and he's like, I don't know why we're still there. Like, why didn't we just get out of Afghanistan? Why did we extend the stay there? Like, it doesn't really make any sense. So like all of those things, I think, you know, pretty much everybody in the country agrees with. And they might not be all the way to where we are. Like you and I would probably say, hey, we should abolish the police. It's something that should be run by private companies. Like, yeah, most Americans aren't going to be there. Um, and then maybe some Americans aren't going to be all the way to legalizing heroin or like reducing the military by 75 percent or whatever we you know they, they might not like come all the way over to where we are but in general they definitely agree with us on those issues um so i think we should just push the overton window with them you know and i don't i don't know why we should be scared because um you know ron paul showed that if you stand for something even if people disagree with you they respect you and they pay attention to you rand paul proved that if you try to cuck to the establishment then they just run you over and don't care about you. And I think we should be more like Ron Paul than Rand Paul. So. Sure, sure. Maybe maybe the goal isn't to win the presidency. Maybe the goal is to get Scott Horton in as the Secretary of Defense. Maybe that's what. Yeah. The, maybe that's the goal that we should have been trying to push all along. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Omoy Kane says Monero is untraceable money. The CIA loves Bitcoin. Get Monero.org. So he's giving a shout out to Monero. I also like Monero. I think it's untraceable and uh, good stuff. I don't know how. How do you feel about the crypto movement, man? You, you a part of it yet? So I've been a gold bug. I, I, I listened. You know, I told you I Peter shit. I'm not shocked at all to hear that you're a gold bug, man. I'm not at all. <laughs> yeah. Um, man, like I certainly wish I got into Bitcoin last year because even if I bailed on it this year, I would have made a lot of money. You know, I mean, there's but um. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Um, I feel like it's become a religion, you know, which is annoying. Like crypto people, um, they don't want to hear any conflicting information. You know, like there's just you, you can't talk to them. Um, but uh, I don't know. I'm not sold on it either way. Super hard. I, I, I'm into gold and silver and I'm considering Bitcoin uh, right now. It's looking kind of sketchy, but uh, I don't know. Every, I mean, it's not like gold has man, been that. It's, called, it's called the dip, dude. It's the best yeah, time to buy, man. Yeah, I mean, I'm hearing all the parallel art. It's so funny, like seeing Peter Schiff go at it with Bitcoin people because they have the same arguments. You know, it's like, oh, just wait. Like, this is just you're lucky this dip exists. You better buy as much as you can. And, you know, they're pointing fingers at each other and. I don't know. I don't think anyone really knows what's going to happen. So, <laughs> you know, it's, I don't know. Well, I'm, a, I am obviously a big fan, a big fan of the crypto movement and Bitcoin. I, I think everybody needs to own some Bitcoin. I think it's an important one. 
in case it ever does become mass adopted and it's you know our currency and you want to have as much as possible but i'm also i get a lot of guff because i i shill a lot of shit coins too but i think they're you know i think there's some good cases and some good tech behind some of these coins so i like to put a little bit of my money in there and invest and if i make more money than and then bitcoin becomes the you know the new uh uh currency then i'll just move it over there you know um, yeah totally. uh, but i also invest in physical silver man because i you know hashtag silver squeeze you know, I, yeah. I, I check out Reddit every once in a while. But, no, I think I think precious metals are also a good investment, too. So, um, But but you got to do both, man. You know, you never yeah, know. Yeah, no, I, I do. I really do. It's just, like, right now. I mean, I, I I finally got interested in it, like, about a month ago. I was like, really, I, okay, this crypto stuff is really taking off, you know, because I didn't want to buy it at 30, and then I didn't want to buy it at 40, and then I didn't want to buy it at 50, and then it got to 60. And I was like, okay. Well, maybe it's just going to keep going. Maybe it's going to go to 70. And then, you know, obviously everyone knows what's happening right now. So I don't know. I, I, I'll probably buy some in the dip because I think it's good to uh, expand your portfolio. And I'm also in a kind of a no risk situation. I mean, I've got a lot of cash, so might as well. Well, so. I, believe, I do. I do fully believe that someday Bitcoin will have $50,000 days, not you know what I mean? Years. So, mm-hmm. um, it's always going to be a good investment in my point, in my opinion. Uh, so we're getting close to the end, but I want to ask you one more question. What is your favorite Liberty story from the road? Since you're oh, always man. on the road, man, you, you got this wonderful podcast that you do from, from inside your truck most of the yeah. time, which is cool. No one else has that. You know what I mean? That's a good thing. <laughs> and, and, yeah. and we're not talking, Hey guys, we're not talking about like setting in a, in his pickup truck screaming at a, a cell phone i mean he does a good show from from a from a, a mac truck so i guess not a mac but um, kenworth Close yeah enough. kenworth kenworth so what is your favorite <laughs> liberty story from the road man so if, if it's a tyranny story that uh magnifies how important liberty is does that count as a liberty story sure or? sure yeah all right so um i was hauling an eighty thousand pound crusher from denver colorado to uh salt lake city and so I was going through Wyoming on Interstate 80. So I was coming up, I think it's Interstate 25 that connects Denver to Cheyenne. And I got to the way station. And the deal in Wyoming is if you're over 80,000 pounds, you're only allowed to haul one unit. And everything on that unit has to be in working order. So in other words, you can't haul a bulldozer and an excavator if you're overweight. It's got to be one or the other. And then if you've got like a loader, you can't have a bucket and forks because it's not in working order. You got to have one or the other. So I have just the crusher on there and I roll onto the scale and they come out and they measure everything. And then they start like opening all the compartments, you know, to like the engine bay and everything. I'm like, what are they doing? And then they opened up a toolbox and they're like, oh, nope, sorry. You can't go anywhere. You've got, you know, these wrenches in here. And I was like, okay, what's wrong with the wrenches? And they said, you can't haul more than one unit. And I was like, you're calling wrenches a separate unit? They said, yeah, no, you can't You can't drive through here. You've got to uh, offload those. And I was like, what? okay, just leave them here. And they're like, no, you can't leave anything in the way station. You can throw them in the dumpster, and then we'll let you go down the road. Or you can call and have someone come get them. And so, you know, I'm like, I don't know, 400 miles from Salt Lake City at this point. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's the irony of this is uh, with the trailer I had, I think I could have hauled like 10,000 more pounds of machine. So if I if I had a, you know, an, a, a 90,000 pound crusher, that would have been legal. 
and they wouldn't have had any issues with it. But these wrenches that weigh like a couple hundred pounds, maybe, which were necessary for starting the machine, like they're for, I don't know, for calibrating it somehow. Um, they were not going to let me go into Wyoming because I had those. And so then I called my boss and we found out those wrenches cost like $700 a piece. No, of course. So we weren't going to throw them in the dumpster. And so I couldn't leave them there and like have someone come in a pickup truck and pick them up or anything. They wouldn't let me do that. They said, you got to throw them out or you can get someone to come get them. So we had to call a towing company with a one ton to just come and grab those like three wrenches or whatever it was and go down the road. And so then they finally let me through. I was stuck in that way station for four or five hours. Um, <laughs> and then um, I, I guess I'll say this. I don't think we could get in any trouble. I just met the guy at the first truck stop down the road and we threw all the wrenches back in the crusher and kept going. Um, <laughs> you know, Cause it's so dumb. And then I actually shot a live video. You guys can watch it on my channel. I don't, I have I no idea what number video it is, but I was so angry. Um, and I was just talking about like all these dumb regulations that, you know, the liberals keep passing the dumb regulations and then the conservatives like to give the cops more and more authority. So they're both part of the problem, just building up this giant police state that just screws small businesses over, you know, because we got put behind five hours and we're uh, I'm part of a trucking company that only has uh, five trucks. So if that happens to Schneider or Walmart or some giant corporation, like it's nothing. But that sets us back half a day. That messes up the schedule for the whole week. Uh, if it happened to an independent operator or something, you could put a guy out of business doing something like that. Um, so, yeah, um, if you're not a libertarian and you want to be one, become a truck driver because you will just run into so much stupid shit like that all the time. <laughs> Regulation always hurts the little guy worst. That's how it's it's designed that way. It's why these big companies always lobby for more regulation because they know it corners the market more for them. It's unfortunate. And it's unfortunate that so many people out in this country don't understand that. You know what I mean? But, uh, yeah. Reed, that's a great show, man. I really appreciate you, brother. Why don't you yeah. uh, tell all these wonderful people where they can find you at? Absolutely. Well, uh, you can tune in. Uh, at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time tomorrow to see Josh over on my show. Oh, uh, hey, that's me! What? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, I'm the Naturalist Capitalist on YouTube and Facebook. You can find me there. And then on Twitter, I am at Reed Coverdale. Um, I have a bit of a sarcastic shitposting uh, tone on Twitter, so... Um, if you see me talking shit about something, you know, like take it with a grain of salt, it's Twitter. If you actually want to know what I think about things, follow me on YouTube and I do post serious things on Twitter too, but it's Twitter. Like, come on. I mean, if you, if you're looking for nuance and information, don't go to Twitter, please. Like it's the worst place you can go, go to YouTube, follow me there. Um, and I'm part of free speech media on Facebook. You can go find them there. It's just me and a bunch of other, uh, libertarians putting content together. Uh, and I just want to give a shout out to Dave Smith for, you know, uh, helping me reach the audience I have because uh, I owe the most publicity to him by far. It doesn't even not even close with anyone else. He's had me on his show. He's on uh, been on my show a couple times and uh, he promotes me pretty uh, big time on Twitter. So thanks to Dave Smith and thanks to you, Josh. Thank you for having me on your show. I'm, I'm a big fan of the show. Uh, this is if uh, people don't know the figures in the Liberty movement, they should watch your show. Cause you're, you're kind of going through all of them. Like you've got me beat with appearances and it's uh, it's a great place to come 
learn about people who have been around a while and people who are up and rising in the liberty movement so props to you man sure man hey thank you so much i really appreciate it it's you know it's it really is a culmination of me traveling around the country, meeting all these people for four years. You know what I mean? It's like, Hey, you remember that one time, you know? And then, and then also, like, I like to say, uh, no one self promotes harder than a guy with, uh, eight dependents and, and, uh, a dream, you know? And so, uh, I will beat down your door until you come on my podcast. It's kind of how it works, you know, but Hey man, I really appreciate you coming on Reed. I look forward to sitting down with you tomorrow night where you can grill me about, I don't know, whatever it is I do. And, uh, and I will see you then. All right, man. Thanks. Appreciate All right, brother. it. Take it easy. All right, guys. Episode 19 in the books. Reed is awesome, man. I really like him. He's. I'm glad that he's becoming such a prominent voice in this movement. I think he's uh, well-reasoned and, and has his shit together. Even even though he's still new, I think he's uh, he's learned the philosophy pretty well. I think his, uh, his blue-collar work uh, ethic and, and time in, in service has really kind of cultivated uh, an opinion like mine. Um, you know, I'm also a blue-collar guy, and I think we need more blue-collar people in the liberty movement. And, uh, not saying that we don't need all you great white-collar people and, and uh, you know, what, what is the other thing? A lot of computer programmers in, in the libertarian movement. Uh, but we need more blue-collar people who work with their hands and understand that the government makes our lives harder every single day. Uh, but anyways, it was a great show. Uh, make sure to check out Lorenzotti.coffee uh, for all your delicious Italian coffee needs delivered directly to your door. Use BTC at checkout for a 10% discount. Of course, TopLobster.com, the, the, the nation's most wonderful uh, truck driver slash graphic artist. Uh, use BTC at checkout to get 10% off all of his wonderful gear that he has at the website. AnthemPlanning.com for all your emergency planning needs. Uh, wonderful people doing a great service. Also executive produ producers of the show now. Uh, let's see what's coming up. Uh, I think Wednesday we have Andrew Cooper, writer uh, from Kentucky. He is the man who uh, basically told uh, Tyrant Bashar in Kentucky to eat his ass and kept his um, coffee business open. Uh, I will have him on the show on Wednesday. And then, of course, Thursday, I'm going to have the great Dave Casey uh, from um, Dave and Goliath, which if you're not following, please make sure you check him out. He's amazing. He's one of my favorite people in this movement. And he is a meme machine, man. Some of the greatest pop culture memes you will ever see. Um, yeah, that's it. I'll see you guys on Wednesday. But until then, don't forget to break the cycle. to explain the lyrics of my last song may seem to contain a violent call to action in the personal frame but i just spent it in minecraft the helicopter part was in reference to gta 5 and the things you do so any violence you commit i am not an excuse because i just spent it in minecraft what chipper is my friend and he's constantly cold accusations of incitement getting totally old Make your own choices, yeah, you have control Because I just landed in Minecraft Obviously I would never advocate force Unless it's due process and a trial, of course And if you're convicted, we will make you a corpse In Minecraft, just in Minecraft There are nothing I mean, you know it Don't try to finish, get the close to COVID Holy shit, I think I'm a poet